we've got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode 15, A Few Good Men from 1992. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, making his Tom Tom Club debut, one of the early supporters, the early champions of Cage Club. He has not been on Hanks yet. He has not been on this very show, this Tom Cruise podcast. Mr. Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We were saying before uh, we started recording that you were going to be on four of the next seven Cruise Club episodes. <laughs> so, dear listener, please, I hope you enjoy Tobin because either come back and I guess in you know a couple months or learn to love him. <laughs> yes, I'm here to stay. Because you are on four big cruise movies. I mean, they're all big, because they're all great. Oh, a cruise, Somehow. right? Yeah. So I, I don't understand it. Uh, also, <laughs> I love it. Bombshell, I think I might have said this before, might, maybe last episode, Mike, I've never seen this movie before. Oh, <gasps> I was not aware. It was oh. incredible. Like, yep. there, this, this, this is the gift that keeps on giving this very podcast. <laughs> I was poking around on Letterboxd, and people are like giving it like three stars, three and a half stars. I was like, what are you, what yeah. are you seeing in this movie that I'm not, like, how am I, am I this have I drunk this much Kool-Aid <laughs> that I'm like, this movie is nearly flawless? Like, I don't understand how people can look at this and not be like, oh my god. Is it the Church of Cruisentology that we are now like, forming no or something idea. that we used to come? But I, I mean, like, I am right there with you, man. Like, I'd only seen this movie once, and it, it's been out for a while, you know? Like, I feel like I should have watched it. It's so famous, and I remember the first time I sat down and watched it straight through, I was like, holy shit, I love this movie. Like, it's procedural courtroom drama like what is going on it, it, it's great to sit down and rewatch it i had kind of forgotten how amazing it was and then like 10 15 minutes in i was like man this is great it's flying by i'm having such a good time watching it and yeah so totally agree i, I wonder if tobin's going three for three here i love this movie to pieces. I saw I saw this movie in the theater. I was 14 when it came out. Saw it in the theater, rented it a bunch, owned it on VHS. I, th- I probably owned three copies of this movie. Because I've somehow misplaced my most recent DVD copy of it, I bought my first 4K streaming iTunes version hey, of the movie. congratulations. Because it, it was on sale, and it was this movie two days ago to watch it again. So yes, I and I was surprised, as I often am going back to movies I loved when I was younger, how much of it I remembered, right? Like you remember sort of all kinds of things that I, watching it, like lines and intonations. And yeah, so I love this movie. The biggest compliment I can give this movie is that everyone, it feels like who has ever seen a movie or a montage or these are the greatest movies and the greatest lines and whatever, knows Jack Nicholson's speech. Maybe they don't know the whole thing, but they know you can't handle the truth. You want me on that wall. You need me on that. Like they know that. Like you know that's coming. Mm-hmm. And yet... It is still, it still gave me chills. Like, it was like a kid on Christmas morning. I was like, ooh, it's, com- it's coming soon. It's coming soon. <laughs> and then, like, because the whole thing is Tom Cruise goading him to that line, essentially, mm-hmm. and just knowing he's going to snap. And I didn't know the context. Like, I sort of, for whatever reason, I guess maybe because he's dressed in his military to the nines, I kind of assumed just from knowing that line that he was a good guy and this was like a defense of someone. But this is mm. him like, no, this is me. I'm protecting us. I'm the one here, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, God, like, this is, Ooh, this is this is good cinema. <laughs> yeah, this is like peak Jack. I feel like for me, you know, like I, I wasn't really, I didn't, you know, he was an older guy. I didn't really wasn't aware of him until he played Joker. Growing up after that, like I really got into Nicholson, and I feel like this is one of his most formidable performances. And he's not really even in it all that much, which is even more scenes, more amazing, right? And Joey, you say this felt like opening a present at the end or something. To me, it felt like an explosion. Like the whole movie is like this wick, like 
like sort of the opening of Mission Impossible, which ironically we'll get to mm. one day, but it, you're just like sort of <laughs> following the wick burning the whole time and it just finally explodes and stuff. I mean, there's some outbursts along the way and things and some twists and stuff, but yeah, even knowing that that's coming, and the two times I've seen this movie, it hasn't been, you know, it didn't feel spoiled. It felt like totally earned and high impact. It's iconic, right? So few yeah. lines in cinema are iconic. You know, Hal in 2001 and I mean there are, there are, there are some, but this is this is right up there with them. Yeah. And also the big surprise I think I had this speaking about the the iconic lines of it all. I had no idea this was written by Aaron Sorkin. Like this is oh, you yeah. know, he wrote the play that this was based on, he wrote the screenplay. There's a great interview on Matt Gorley's podcast I was there too where he talks to Joshua Molina who was in the play. He's the only one from the play who then is also in the movie. This is his film debut and he talks a little bit about that. I had no idea Love Him or Hate Him or whatever, kind of one of the preeminent screenwriters of this generation wrote this movie. And I'm just like, oh, like this? I was like, oh, Kevin Bacon. Oh, Demi Moore. Oh, Kevin. Like, I just didn't know anything about this. Like, I knew, I asked before, you know, I asked Mike, I think last episode, like, is, is what's, you want me on that wall? I thought it was from some other movie. Like, no, that's from, you know, this. Like, I don't know. I didn't know anything about this. This was all like, considering how famous and sort of known that line is, I knew none of the other things. Like, there was a bunch of blanks around it, and I was on board. I'm in the business of saving lives. Uh, I mean, we even get uh, Tom Cruise doing a Jack Nicholson impression in this <laughs> yes. movie. That's how, like, crazy shit is getting in this. I stuff. think he wants to say it. I think he's pissed off that he's got to hide from us. I think he wants to say that he made a command decision, and that's the end of it. He eats breakfast 300 yards away from 4,000 Cubans that are trained to kill him. And no one's going to tell him how to run his unit, least of all the Harvard mouth in his faggoty white uniform. I need to shake him, put him on the defensive, and lead him right where he's dying to go. Which apparently, just real quick, apparently that was improvised, according to IMDb. Oh, it and felt so it, because... did that. And so Demi Moore and, and uh, Kevin Pollack were just like, oh, I guess this is happening in the movie now, and their reactions were genuine. Yeah, I could kind of see, like, the smirk on Kevin Pollack's face, because he's pretty famous for impressions, you know? So they must right, have gotten right. into it off-screen or something behind cameras at one point into, like, an impression off or something, I was thinking. But uh, Tom Cruise is so on point here, Joey. Like, he makes me almost think of, like, the cold trickle of lawyers or something in this movie. He's just Ooh. so good like the drop the hammer he's he dropped the hammer in the corner <laughs> that's right the, the gavel falls Demi's great you know kevin bacon is in here this is a big one for the kevin bacon game six degrees of kevin bacon like, mm-hmm. it is just head to toe rob reiner i mean the direction in this is just so great and sorkin's writing super breezy like it doesn't it never feels like there's a lull and it just like keeps moving along. It's great. I do want to say here, so this was nominated for, it did not win really much of anything, but it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Jack Nicholson, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, lost three of those to Unforgiven, and lost Best Sound mm-hmm. to Last of the Mohicans. Okay. Then at the Golden Globes, I mentioned this last episode, Cruz was nominated for Best Lead Actor, lost to Al Pacino in PSLF Hoffman's Scent of a Woman. It also was nominated for Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor and Best Screenplay, it won none of those. So it was, like, it was this, a lot of the trivia on IMDb is that it was the only one, the only movie that year that was nominated for Best Picture that did not win any Academy Awards, the only nominee for Best Picture that did not get nominated for Best Director or Best This or Best That or whatever. Like, it just felt like it was so close, but I guess in a crowded competition. That said, in spite of the fact that it didn't win anything, the fact that it was nominated for so much means a lot. You know, you don't have to win awards to be like, oh, hey, this is a great movie. The fact that this was not nominated, that Sorkin was not nominated for Best Screenplay this year is a crime. I'm going to say it's a a full-out crime. I have seen 
all the other nominees. I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen Enchanted April. I would take this over two or three of the other nominees that were, were in the in the competition. I still contend this is maybe the best screenplay that year. I it's interesting. It's my favorite. It may not be the best, but it's my favorite. I think, as I say, it's I think it's a I think it's a travesty that they didn't recognize it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting how infused with like character this screenplay even feels and i don't know like to a degree it's just like all these characters are so well defined right and that they're playing everyone's Mm -hmm. like really got a good grasp on them and playing them so well that like the conflicts feel so natural between each other you know and like that's what i'm enjoying too is the way that like our lead characters are sort of butting heads and learning how to get along and all that kind of stuff and you know and that's in the script for them and reiner and everything it just feels like kismet or something happening here where like everybody was so on point they were able to get across everyone was able to get across what they wanted and it, you know and like it all came out seemingly the way they expected so yeah it is it is kind of a crime in a, in a way that it didn't get any awards but like you said joey like it has recognition you know it's at least it's got that but they didn't forget For sure. about it <laughs> now before we go any further i do want to ask i sort of got you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take the blame on this one because i got carried away myself but i do want to ask tobin since you are the only guest tonight you're going to be on a handful more cruise episodes where do you fall on him is he the kind of actor like you know i was this is a long way to get there but i just started my julia roberts binge and i was i watched mystic pizza and i loved it and i fell in love with mm. 1988 julia roberts and i fell in love with Yay. 1988 lily taylor like i love this movie i went back and I listened to past Cruise Club guest Michael Domenico's podcast about Mystic Pizza because they did a whole season about Julia Roberts. And they were saying Julia Roberts is kind of the last actor to really be a box office draw. They said Tom Cruise kind of, but they were saying Julia Roberts, who we did a whole gushing episode about of Cinemakers, about Aaron Brockovich. So anyway, this is my long roundabout way of saying Hmm. a lot of people sometimes go to see movies because Tom Cruise is in them. Like, I feel like he's kind of one of the last few remaining people that this is true of. Is that the case for you? Is it sort of a movie-by-movie basis? Where do you fall with Tom Cruise, and what are some of your favorite movies of his? Like, are they going to be ones that we're talking about, ones that we've already done? Where do you fall on the the whole Tom Cruise spectrum. Oh, man. Well, Tom Cruise is such a part of my childhood. My mom was a huge Tom Cruise fan. I think stemming mostly from Risky Business. I think that was kind of her entry point. So Cruise, so his movies were, were a big part of my childhood. Top Gun is the first one I remember seeing, certainly seeing more than once. I, I got left home when they went to Cocktail with a babysitter. <laughs> they dodged a bullet, they my, baby Tobin. <laughs> <laughs> they, they took my sister, who was... Oh, God. Very, very young. And they took a blanket, throw over her head um, whenever they needed Wait, to. your co-host, Aislinn, sister? or no? Aislinn. Whoa. She's... Aislinn. Yes, yes, yes. Aislinn, I think she, who was... she told that story on this very podcast, I believe. She was five. Okay. Yeah. So... Like that, that is yeah. crazy. <laughs> Proceed. Yeah. <laughs> the year before this, or actually the same year this movie comes out, he and Nicole Kidman made Far and Away here in Montana. How do you like um, my hot and... <laughs> and so And so, um, so anyway, I had that that kind of connection. My favorite movies of his are are in this era that we're beginning right now, the 90s stretch for him is contained in most of my favorite movies of his. But then I also love when he works with, when you guys eventually do Collateral, that's a movie I adore. And then when you when you get to, as he's aged, as he's allowed himself to age a little bit, right? Like there's a little more kind of um, face to his face that's not quite so boyish and perfect. When you get into Edge of Tomorrow and then the later Mission Impossible movies, I am 
very much back on board. So there, there was a period there where I was where I was out of it a little bit. The Lions for Lambs period, the night and day. Like there are movies of his I've not seen in that uh, <laughs> in that stretch. But yeah, I've seen I've seen uh, or my favorites are the ones that you're sort of hitting right now. I feel like Mike, we have been talking about how this stretch, like in terms of not where we are in Hanks of the Memories, but the time we're at in Cruise Club, like ninety two, is going to kick off this like undeniable stretch of Tom Hanks, right? Like from like mm-hmm. ninety two, ninety three ish, like oh four ish, or whatever the whatever the the start and end points are. There's like 13 movies in a row where just like, this is unbelievable. Like, I can't believe he made all these movies. Cruz made far fewer. Like, he kind of just did like one a year and he's done so many great ones already. But I don't think we ever really talked about how like the 90s are so great for both of them, right? Yeah. Like, Tom Cruise started, mm-hmm. like the 80s were so great. The current day is so great. Like, everything sort of, I know that we're going to get to a dark period, you know, like you were sort of alluding to, Tobin, where things aren't necessarily going to be bad, but maybe not what we love about them or whatever. The 90s, I think, I don't want to I don't want to overlook, not that we're going to, because we're starting off in such great ways with A Few Good Men and Far and Away and everything else we've done, but the 90s here, we've, we've spent so much time talking about Hanks in this decade for him, but like it's a great decade for Cruz, too. It's true. I, I think a part of the reason is that we weren't, well, at least, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I think, judging by your reaction, we weren't really expecting Cruz to be coming out of the gate so strong like that like it is jarring you know like for me to really realize like wow it's like right away like even if he wasn't lead like his movies were good they were very engaging and then very quickly you know he took the the center stage and everything and it's just been like off to the races since then whereas with like Hanks we've you know kind of struggled a little bit but like we knew the 90s were good to Hanks and I think we kind of forgot like they're really good for Cruz too I'm with Tobin to the degree where it's like I didn't also see like a lot of those turn of the century Tom Cruise things like I think I kind of you know lost track of him along the way a little bit and I think also forgot that was going to happen like there will be not the lesser films maybe but just the ones that I haven't seen the ones that maybe didn't get as good critical review that I'm looking forward to getting to as well so it seems like every couple episodes there's something about Tom Tom Club that just like rejuvenates uh, me and like (laughs) you know confirms that we should just keep going and this was a good idea what a fascinating experiment for you both to be going through the movies of these two iconic stars who, who reach such similar heights in terms of their sort of power and prestige in Hollywood at mm-hmm. such similar times, but that are so different in terms of the kind of projects they do, the kind of actors they are, the kind of personas they have outside of film, the kind of auteurs they become in terms of their sort of the shaping of the projects that they take on. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a fascinating case study. Well, thank you so much. And actually, one thing we normally do this at the end, but there's a little bit of trivia, and I think this is sort of a great springboard to kind of maybe start the conversation, but. Tom Hanks was considered for the role that Tom Cruise played in this movie. Hmm. And, you know, at the end of every episode, Tobin, we play, do you think, like, what would this movie look like if Tom Uh, Hanks were cast in Tom Cruise's role? I can totally see, knowing where Tom Hanks goes, I can totally see him in this role. I just don't know. And we've had, you know, we just did big where he's sort of now more of who he is. But I still don't know if at this point in 1992, he was where Cruz was. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if he could have pulled this off. But I wonder, considering he was considered, and it seems like everyone in Hollywood was considered for a role. Like, there's just, like, a bunch of dudes, and then there's the Demi Moore part. I think Michelle Pfeiffer was considered for that. Like, it seems like the trivia is littered with people. But the big one, obviously, for what we're doing, Tom Hanks considered for this role that Tom Cruise played. What do you guys think? Could that have worked if Tom Hanks were in this part? It's just funny because I actually think it would. I have an actual, like, I, I kind of thought about this for a minute while you're talking. Like, number one, 
uh, Rob Reiner. I think he had like this certain touch around this era, like all of his movies from like, you know, Princess Bride to When Harry Met Sally to this, like they, they're just all these like really great, swift, breezy movies that work so well. So I think he would have been a good factor to sort of help Hanks through some of this sort of tougher material, maybe if he wasn't up for it. If he just wasn't there yet, I think he could have gotten him through it. But the main thing I'm thinking about here is, you know, we have Demi Moore, who's gorgeous. We have Tom Cruise, who's gorgeous. And yet their beauty basically plays like no role whatsoever in this movie where you would think like, you know, and maybe a different version of this, they would totally get together. Like Kevin Pollack would get knocked off at some point. Like like it would, if you turned it into like a thriller or something. But I think because sort of there's no sexual tension, you could kind of get any great actor in there to play the Tom Cruise role. Like Tom Cruise is a great actor and he's doing a great job, you know? But I mean like De Niro or I don't know. So, you know, I'm just saying like... It feels like a role written to be performed by a great actor. And it's being performed by a great one, but there's so many of them. And I think it would have been an interesting twist to see Hanks at this time take on this type of material. Yeah, I think it would work too. It would be very different, right? I mean, it would be much more earnest. There's a kind of sense of danger about Tom Cruise that I don't think I'm just backwards reading into it compared to (laughs) something that's not there. But I think that there's a a sense when he gets unhinged or shouting or the the scene where where he comes in drunk. And, you know, there are times where he feels, I feel a greater sense of danger from him, volatility than I think Tom Hanks would bring. Tom Hanks would bring a different sense of kind of justice and earnestness that, again, would work fine with the material, but I like that I'm glad they ended up with Cruz because I think that his natural charisma, which just pours out of every you know part of him, really helps with the kind of smart alecky part. Like he he doesn't have to work to play Caffey at the beginning. And he does to work. I don't. That's not the correct way to say it. But it plays up to his persona, him at the beginning, the kind of cocky guy who doesn't care. To then it's more interesting because then we expect that from him. We're like, oh right, this is Tom Cruise. And then the way he changes over the course of the movie, I think it's it's uh, more surprising to us. It's interesting how. People- People have like a certain, it seems like people read them a certain way immediately and stick to it. Like they, I don't know, like I I feel like everyone kind of thinks like he's a flake or just like not with it or not taking things seriously where in fact like he is. And so like maybe Mm -hmm. that's part of, I think Cruz's, that's a trick he has in the bag that maybe Hanks might Mm -hmm. not is that like, if you see Hanks coming into the courtroom, you might think, okay, this guy's all business. But if you see Tom Cruise come in, you might be like, like, who's this guy? (laughs) Like, are you serious? This guy's a kid. He doesn't take any of this seriously, but he does. It's like one of his his like powers almost in the movie as a lawyer. Tobin, if you think that because I do I do agree with you in terms of the danger that he brings and I feel like that's something that we've we've seen so far that Cruz like literally came out of the box running. He came out of the gate running like he runs on screen in the first movie. I'm not sure if he runs in this movie. We'll get to that later. He's got this energy, this this power, this like strength, this like sexuality but not in a sexuality like he just got this like aura about him and I feel like Tom Hanks is settling into what he's going to become, but he's just kind of been in a lot of these movies kind of like the goofy guy or kind mm-hmm. of the button-up one. Like, it's just like there's there's a weird kind of back and forth, and I don't know, like, it, it could have worked, but I, I think that there is something to that danger, to that, you know, what he brings to this movie that really works. So with that said, if you're not casting Tom Hanks as Kathy, is there a part in here that you could see him in, because I think this is really well cast, I think it was really well acted, but is there a part in here that you think he would be great in? Knowing where he is, sort of like, it's it's difficult because we're four years behind with Hanks, but you know, sort of big era-ish or about to do Forrest Gump or whatever, like where could he have fit in this movie? I could imagine him in the Kevin Pollack role. I would never want to take Kevin Pollack out of this movie because I think he's so good, but that's that's the kind of 
un... The reserved? No, but like goofball... It's almost like the comic relief, but not yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But like honorable, like a sense of honor, and but subdued, you know, like um, and but kind of, kind of the goofball, almost the conscience kind of goofball. at times too. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about you guys? I think it would have been interesting for him to be the Kevin Bacon role to do that, Ooh. to be that attorney, and then to have him versus Cruz. And I, I'm not sure where Kevin Bacon is exactly in his career at the time. And I mean, to be quite honest, as much as I love Kevin Bacon, I've always, I'm not quite sure if he's ever really been a draw or like a, I love him but he just feels more of like a extremely popular character actor for a lot of time um, but he's great yeah. I love him Tom Hanks in that role would have been a nice fit I was actually just thinking as Tobin was talking about how he's the or you guys are talking about like the conscious like I feel like and I, I didn't articulate this until just now Cruz and Pollock and Demi Moore are kind of the id ego and super ego Tom Cruise is literally like the I like we're just gonna do things like kind of jokery in that way Demi Moore is kind of the you know the internal affairs officer the the one who sort of does everything by the book until she sort of has to make a compromise and then Kevin Pollock is sort of like that blend of the two in the middle right like I feel like there's a really nice interplay between the three of them mm -hmm. the way that their characters are written is sort of reflect all different ways you can sort of approach a case like this. Yeah, I think that's what makes this so interesting. Them as a team and having to come together and, you know, being put together and Demi Moore with, you know, she's sort of not being like looked over or anything, but like the fact that they bring in Tom Cruise, she's like, you know, not joyed about that whatsoever. Like Kevin Pollack isn't want to be on this case. He's been assigned like the idea that they just have to like live with this case, right? And like, like it or not through investigating it and everything that they end up liking each other, learning how to work together. Like Joe, he's almost reminding me of Dragnet a little. I was like talking about on that, like as they're investigating the case and interviewing different witnesses, like they're bonding over how like crazy things are getting or coincidences or the reveals and things like it's bringing them together as a team, thinking together as a unit and stuff to like, by the end, they're down to, like, go to court. You know, they're like, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to win. I like that. And, you know, no one would be more appreciative of just the facts, ma'am, than this judge. He'd be all serious. <laughs> he would very much approve of Dan Aykroyd's uh, demeanor in that movie. All right, so now, Tobin, the way we sort of frame these discussions in this yeah. in this podcast is to talk about our favorite and least favorite moments. If you had to pick a scene, a moment, a line, let's just take, and I don't know if this is anybody's actual favorite, but let's take the Jack Nicholson speech off the table. The, you know, the speech that, that delivered a thousand memes and whatever. What is your favorite part, your favorite moment in A Few Good Men? I'm going to kind of cheat and pick two but they're very related um, and i'll tell my, my most favorite now the other one is this sort of attaches to it i think that the introduction of the tom cruise character is masterful i show that scene he's he's playing baseball and he's or softball he's like practicing with his team and meanwhile also negotiating a plea bargain with the with this prosecutor <laughs> and it tells, tells us so much about who he is and how smart he is and what he cares about and what he doesn't care about and his sort of like devil may care attitude and you get to see him win I mean it's such a fantastic character introduction uh, second only to Demi Moore's introduction but I, I just I, lo I love that introduction for him. it's it's a for a movie built or like this is a movie built for a star this is a movie built for an actor to like have a big 
a big show, a big turn, you know? And to sort of start that character in that place, I, you can see where probably every actor in at all in the right age range would have been dying to play this part. I do also want to point out that Tom Cruise is wearing a Red Sox hat in this movie, and there's such a there's a big <laughs> a big moment in War of the Worlds where he's wearing a Yankees hat and his son puts out a, pulls out a Red Sox cap and it's just like, oh boy, how could you betray me like that? So little does he know, you know, ten years earlier or whatever. But yeah, no, I, I love that introduction. I love you know just how like I, I love the way that you I think you bring a little bit to the movie, and I think that's kind of why you cast somebody like Tom Cruise because you bring a little bit to it, like you know kind of who he the type of character he normally plays, like the sort of this like you know handsome things come easy to him whip smart kind of guy and like he is that but he's more than that but i like that you get that so quickly in his introduction so i think that's a that's a great choice yeah yeah it, it really threw me off like uh it makes you kind of think like he's kind of shallow and stuff right like he cares more about baseball than lawyering because he's not in the you know office but he talks this guy down like crazy you know like he's just so mm-hmm. good like mm-hmm. he knows his shit like so well and when you come to find the history with his father and you know expectations he must have had like I think he carries that extremely well and like the character you know like Tom Cruise is bringing this guy to life and like you know the best compliment I have is like I, I don't think of him as Tom Cruise in this movie you know so did you say you're I, I might have missed it but do you say the other scene that, that sort of links with that or no it's Demi Moore's introduction oh that's great right after all like the rifle flipping and everything like Mm-hmm. that and it's like it made me think of taps joey oh Another yeah i wrote down is this taps too what is this <laughs> like if if cruz had survived the end of taps maybe this is where he'd be <laughs> i'm gonna go my favorite scene in this i think is it's kind of in a way like a, a reintroduction of tom cruise kind of a rebirth but it's the moment where he like chooses to to fight yes. because the whole the whole movie is him and Demi Moore calls this out like really quickly. She's just like, "You're the one who always looks for the plea deal. Like you never spend a day in court." Tom Cruise even makes a joke later, like, "Oh, this is what the the inside of a court looks like." Mm-hmm. Like he's just the kind of guy who <laughs> is good at what he does, but sort of seems to be taking the easy way out and seems more focused on the softball team and the drinking and the camaraderie and everything like that, and not in a bad way, but just in a I'd rather be doing this because I can do my job and you know help these people and get them a, a more lenient sentence. And I also don't have to, like, really kind of do my job. I love the scene where he, he chooses, like, we're going to we're gonna fight this case. And then just his declaration of, like, what does he say? Like, I've got Yoo-Hoo and Cocoa Puffs. If you want any other food, you know, bring it yourself. And then he makes a joke about, so this is what a courtroom looks like. But I just like that he, we're introduced to him as one type of character. And then here, I mean, it has to be because of the movie, but, like, he becomes this other character where he sort of decides he's going to stand up and he's going to fight for these guys because he feels like they deserve more than just like a, a dishonorable discharge, like a, you know, a, a lighter sentence. One of the great things that Sorkin delivers in his best writing are these moments that, that are just so satisfying of a character making the turn that you that you want them to make, that they should make, like making the moral choice, and then doing it with such kind of panache and humor and wit. And there are a number of moments in this movie and in a lot of Sorkin writing that where he, he builds you to a place where the character is finally going to make a turn and make the right choice. And then the, he lands that every time with such ways that just that kind of thrill the writer in me. It's so great, too, watching it happen because you can like see it on his face like he's having an epiphany i really feel like the characters earned it too because like you know even kevin pollock's been sort of like pecking at him right when they're in guantanamo and they're like we'll meet at 1600 and he leans over he's like that's four o'clock right like (laughs) there's all these things like tom cruise isn't hip to the lingo he doesn't really care and all this stuff but once it's not really just about winning the for these boys but there's like something more at stake you know what i'm saying like it's more than winning like it's justice Mm -hmm. it's actual you know like he comes to that realization it's like 
we have a chance here to actually do something. Once he realizes that, like, I love how full on and committed his character becomes and just like that's his drive. He's, he becomes so focused that he almost like goes off the rails once or twice. But it's just great. Yeah, that that moment's awesome. Now, Mike, do you, have a, do you have a different pick or is one of the things that we've already talked about? What's your favorite moment in this movie? I mean, yeah, it's so tough. It's such a good movie. Those were definitely on my list. Like, I just love how much baseball is in this movie, too. Like how, you know, it's just a character trait and it's just smart of Sorkin to just keep it around. You know, I feel like some movies, you know, they wouldn't have baseball games on two rooms, you know, while he's thinking about the case and he wouldn't be, you know, his character holds the bat and everything. He's got and all thinking that kind of bat, stuff. yeah. Yeah, his thinking bat. <laughs> Damn, it's really hard to think of, uh, of another scene. So technically, I think I'm going to go with the the epiphany scene because watching it I kind of got like kind of chills I was like wow this is great this is mo- this is movies <laughs> um, but but there is an honorable mention moment here that I have to bring up because this guy popped up for one scene he was in one of my most enjoyable episodes of Charlize when we did watch the throne oh of course he is a little disgraced now in real life yes so it's unfortunate he is no that. Yeah. he is no longer a man of honor unfortunately however it was really funny to see Cuba Gooding Jr. pop up for a minute. <laughs> Why get him for this? The guy he's playing doesn't really have like. Well, is it, this this got to be one of his earlier roles, or no? Or is it? Or is it? Not? I mean, he's not in Jerry Maguire yet, or anything. No, I mean that's kind of funny too. I wonder if him and Cruz kicked it off, you know, behind the scenes and mm-hmm. everything. But I, I just thought that was really funny because of the Jerry Maguire connection. Because he is no longer a man of honor or anything, and so when he pops up, it just makes me laugh. Now, maybe it's my least favorite moment. Maybe I don't know exactly. I'm kind of stuck in the middle here. I just thought of A Few Good Men of Honor, just sort of the uh, the building of title, the build a title Ooh, version where just the two movies nice. combined. There's a scene, I, I think it just to sort of characterize, like it, it's effective in its characterization, but the way that they characterize Jack Nicholson as like this sort of like the son of a mm. bitch where he's just like, you know, getting like a blowjob from your superior officer or whatever, like just like uh, yeah. very dehumanizing and sexual, like in front of Demi Moore, like basically talking about her, but not talking about her. Like mm-hmm. that was kind of one of my least favorite moments, but I think it's kind of in a sense like you could do other things. It's sort of a necessary evil in that way. And also it's the early nineties and it's the military and there's a lot of different reasons. I'm also going to say like, so that's for sure one of my least favorite moments, but I'm also going to throw out in a very attorney's general situation. They keep saying code reds. It's mm-hmm. definitely code's red. Like it's definitely, <laughs> you've got to pluralize the right word. Like, that is my least favorite thing. It's codes red. Thank you. End of sentence. Dude, this is, that's some seeking justice cage up in the uh, newspaper correcting the lady kind of shit right there. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's my my one. You know, I've I've got through the years, I've had a lot of pet peeves in terms, like, I still don't like, you know, your versus your and everything like that. Like, I, like very basic grammar things. But the thing that I feel I, I'm most, my, my pet thing to fix is now the, the proper pluralization. So codes red. For sure. <laughs> it's the title of your memoir. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, Code's Red. I, I, yes. Story. Uh, Tubba, what about you? Is, is there a part of this movie that you think that you don't like? Is there What's your least favorite moment of A Few Good Men? My least favorite moment is the is the ending. Wait, just how it cuts to the end? <laughs> well, no, I, I don't mind. I actually don't mind the script and all that at the end. But the last 10 hut as the guy leaves. And the, there's just it, it, for a movie that has not been very maudlin, it gets a little sentimental after the 
this great bit where the verdicts are delivered and they're not guilty of, of the murder and not guilty of conspiracy, but they are guilty of, of being dishonorable and they're going to be dishonorably, dishonorably discharged. And so it's like this bittersweet thing. And after that, it just gets, to me, it just gets too, it gets a little too sentimental and it just felt like a little too much. Also the music, I hate the score to this movie. Oh yeah, I do not like. <laughs> I hate the reverb drums on this score, this Mark Shaman score, have not aged well. I don't know if it was in the original script or in the screenplay or they filmed it and didn't use it, but there was an alternate ending. I don't know if either of you Ooh, read this. Where Jack Nicholson grabs a pistol and like shoots Tom Cruise. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not a, uh... oh, in the original, in the June 91 draft, the film does not end with the iconic shot of Tom Cruise admiring the courtroom one last time. Instead, it ends with Daniel Caffey asking Joe Galloway out on a date, and she instructs him to wear matching socks, which is like, oh boy, oh, like yeah. that's that's almost like a, that's a worse ending. You know what I mean? Like I know that you know, the, the, <laughs> the the tone of it might not work for you, but like I think we can all agree that that's a worse ending. I guess it's not the very like it's not the last thing of him turning. It's everything between the verdict and him turning turning around in the courtroom. But yeah, that that doesn't sound good. I wonder if because they she uses the socks line earlier in the movie right before the the he goes up against Jessup. I wonder if. They just moved that there because they thought that was a good line. I oh, think, I think it was probably supposed to use it twice, like, oh, this is my one advice to you. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, I, that's either like either way. Yeah. Pick-up line. Like a callback. Yeah. Not great. Mike, what about you? What's mm. your least favorite part of A Few Good Men? Yeah, those are all really good callbacks, shout-outs. Like, the thing about the Nicholson character is, like, you're supposed to hate this guy's guts, right? Like, from the get-go, I was like, this guy's shit. <laughs> and then when he, like, <laughs> lies in front of the guy who told him to transfer him, I was like, ah, oh, what a prick. And then, like, all that sexual verbal assault that he does and everything, and that's kind of shitty. I, I would go with that. But the one thing that kind of irked me that I wish I could have, you know, this is a long movie, right? It's not short by any means. But, like, funny mm-hmm. enough, I could have gone for another 10 minutes or so with a little more of the two soldiers who this all revolves around right and like i don't know i i feel like maybe a scene or two is missing that like we even have that one guy's aunt and the other guy's family there and they never get to have like a sidebar or anything and i don't know i mean even it might not be the way you run that tri- a court martial i understand but it is a movie and it would have maybe just helped <laughs> me i mean but then again i understand the idea is like these guys are devout marines right they've been brainwashed and you see who they've been under the command of you know not only jack nicholson but Kiefer sutherland right who has been molded into the hardest of asses uh <laughs> like arlie ermy <laughs> better watch out for a movie that is just so well rounded and maybe the point was to sort of keep those two in the dark i just wish that there was a little more of those guys understandable i get it i i agree and it's hard to pick like a least favorite part of this movie anyway so yeah a few like little little details i want to point out uh we did not know we did not mention yet that james hurley from twin peaks is one of the yes. two men on the defense i didn't I, again hair blindness but like shaved bald like without well, his like he's james the return hair. it's the return of twin peaks james well he's bald now <laughs> right. right like <laughs> right, right. with uh, him and his buddy hulk hand or whatever I like Tom Cruise's uh, reference of Glengarry. I think probably of Glengarry, right? Of the the state knives. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought it yeah. was. Yeah. And that's so cool. Like, I don't know how much of that was going on in the '90s, Tobin. I don't know, but like that to me feels like something Sorkin started bringing in a little more was like yeah. popular references to things that just happened or movies that are around or like this character read that book or something. And I think especially for Sorkin, it's the mammoth connection. It's the play connection. Mm. Glengarry Glen Ross had won the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, it was a big, big play before, even before it had been a movie. I'm sure that that bit is, I'm guessing I've not read it, but I'm, I'd be, I'd be shocked if that bit wasn't in the play. I like that. There's a scene where Tom Cruise, when I think when he's first talking to Kevin Bacon, he's sort of, this is when he's trying to make the plea deal 
and saying, you know, you want to do 20, we'll do 12, blah, 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 passes a bowl of donuts, touches every single donut yes. in the bowl, yes. picks up one, <laughs> takes a bite upside down, frosting side down, which is bananas, makes a face like it's disgusting, and then throws it out. I was like, not only did you touch every donut in that bowl, but you didn't even eat the donut you took. He's doing some great food acting in this movie. It almost, it comes close <laughs> yeah. to, to Brad Pitt at times. Like, there's the yes. apple-eating scene when he meets oh, Demi yeah. Moore. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. What the hell? No manners on this gentleman. Not a gentleman. There's also, you know, maybe the I don't. I think it's supposed to be to use Tobin's word from earlier in Brian Late Night Rodriguez's podcast word. But the iconic. It was supposed to be this iconic line. Rob Reiner said that the Kung Pao line that Kevin Pollock says is supposed to get a laugh and it never does. Where they're having this argument, it's like oh, you got any Kung Pao chicken in there or whatever. It feels like that's supposed to be like this like famous you know memorable line or whatever, but it, it it's not. No, because Joey, you know what the line is for Chinese food. There's only one line. We're gonna be hungry again in an hour <laughs> yeah I, I, that, I, I wonder if maybe because again I'm just again guessing that if that line plays differently on on the stage because that Kung Pao chicken line is actually him saying I'm going to stay I'm going to stay here and keep working on the case I'm not going to give up it's the subtext is all that's there but I and, and I as I understand it the Kevin Pollock character is one that changed a lot from mm. stage to screen okay. and, I, and and was reduced some. Apparently that's one of the best friends of mine who've been in the play have talked about that's the part that everybody, not everybody wants. Everybody wants to be Tom Cruise. But if you can't be Tom Cruise, <laughs> then you want to be, and, and you're of the age mm. to not play, you know, not of the age to play uh, Jessup, then you want to play uh, the Kevin Pollock character. Uh, so I wonder, I wonder too if that's like, because all the people involved in the movie had been to the play. And so you, are you expecting the, the lines to all land the same? I, I've never laughed at the, <laughs> the Kung Pao line, but it does stick in my head as a, as a way of having a character like agree to stay without saying, okay, guys, I'm going to stay. Right. I also want to point out another thing that we do not laugh at, probably the least funny Christopher Guest role I have yes. ever seen. Oh, yes, yes, the doctor. He's so good, yeah, though. Yeah. He's so that. good. Great Rob Reiner connection there, though, you know, like Spinal mm-hmm. Tap, Princess Bride, and all that. And he, I was thinking, though, you know, he could, he should play more straight roles. He's kind of got like a menace, not necessarily yeah. in this movie per se, but like there's a... Something about his character in this movie where it's like, don't fuck with me, even behind like the meekness <laughs> of it. Like the guy looked like he was about to explode or something. Yeah, he's slippery. And, and I think I think yeah. Menace is exactly the way. Like he's not the kind of guy who'd come at you like guns to the front, but he'd knife you in the back real quick, I think. I just think it's funny to talk about him with Menace because the first character I think of is Gorky St. Clair. And like that is the opposite. <laughs> well, like, if, if you're like a, if you you've know. got like a sliding scale, like Menace <laughs> is on one side and Corky is on like the absolute, like he's, he's so far away from this like he's not even on the scale anymore just the gentlest <laughs> kindest soul on celluloid maybe ever <laughs> i like that tom cruise is in the navy but he's not crazy about boats in this movie he also is afraid to fly i was like how can you be afraid to fly you are oh talking you're maverick it's in, yeah right. and they're in the navy too right that's what you know the yeah, fighter pilots yeah. so like i didn't even put that together watching this i was always thinking about taps because he never got into a plane or anything <laughs> but yeah he's he does really good in his military roles. It's not like they're putting him in bad military movies, or maybe he's elevating them, but it feels like, I wonder if they're if they're sort of pigeonholing him a bit in these kind of movies, but he's also only in good movies, so it's not a bad thing. I don't know. But it does seem like he's doing a lot of military movies. Yeah, there is a lot of bad movies 
military movies out there and there's something about them where he's connecting because things seem more tactile you know top gun he got to play with planes like you know taps he got to play with guns and stuff and like this he gets to you know still dress up and things and i don't know it just feels like in an era of like especially today where thing everything on screen can be fake like back then it must have been sort of more thrilling when you're like oh i'm on like a military base for a shoot or like look at the tanks and so like i don't know i just feel like it's bringing something out of everyone actually especially in this movie everyone is just to me more is just incredible like i just think this might be my favorite performance of hers like she's just killing it here yeah she is really really good in this movie uh, and the, it's not a thankless part but it does do the sorkin thing of the women get to be really like smart and hard charging, but also kind of ditzy. And uh, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Like she doesn't ever have a hero moment in the final section of the movie. Mm-hmm. She is the, like the last one to kind of tell Kathy he should like back off. Like maybe you shouldn't do this, even if it is the right, even if you, even if it's the right thing to do. And she stands up and objects at a time and all, you know, almost tanks the case. And I, I wish she had a moment at the end to have a hero moment. I think her best moments in the movie are in the like first half of the movie. Yeah, and you know, I actually thought the first time watching this when I did, I, I thought it was her movie. Like, I knew Tom Cruise was going to be lawyer and everything, but I thought that she had, that they were sharing screen time equally and things and all that kind of stuff. And like, although the movie does kind of push that character to the side a little bit, uh, I still feel her presence throughout it you know what i'm saying like that i feel is like an undertaking unto itself is to keep being recognized on screen while all this other stuff is going on she's just reminding me of like oh okay here's why we're here this is where you know she was there yeah, from the beginning yeah. and we're actually doing it now and all that and she does end up becoming one of their lawyers right like she gets mm-hmm. the aunt yeah. to sort of sign off and stuff so it does become like a team thing even though he does most of the talking she's a good foil for him but the character's a good foil for kathy and to be more is so good in the movie it's a problem I think in the writing of the second half of the movie that she's just not given one moment to shine in that second half there was uh, there's a trivia that is you know very disappointing that an unnamed executive gave Aaron Sorkin a note if Tom Cruise quote if Tom Cruise and Demi Moore aren't going to sleep with each other why is Demi Moore a woman unbelievable Sorkin responded I said the obvious answer women have purposes other than to sleep with Tom Cruise. And Sorkin claimed the incident was his worst experience as a screenwriter. Wow. Yikes. People are assholes. That's crazy. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I do want to point out that there's a nominee that I'm going to put up later for the best recap when we get to the Tom Cruise Awards. Tom Cruise's meltdown when his... Tobin Tobin mentioned it earlier when he comes back drunk. He sort of does his, like, game show impersonation. Like, I think that is, like... he's, He's got a lot of great scenes and many monologues and stuff. I think that is a real standout moment for him where he's just at the end of his rope like he just can't go on really and that's he's basically like what's the point of any of this anymore i'm sorry i keep forgetting you were sick the day they taught law at law school you put him on the stand and you get it from him oh we get it from him yes no problem we get it from him colonel jessup isn't it true that you ordered the code red on santiago listen we're all a little Eh, i'm sorry your time's run out what do we have for the losers, Judge? Well, for our defendants, it's a lifetime at exotic Fort Leavenworth. And for defense counsel Kathy, that's right, it's a court-martial! Yes, Johnny! After falsely accusing a highly decorated Marine officer of conspiracy and perjury, Lieutenant Kathy will have a long and prosperous career teaching typewriter maintenance at the Rocco Colombo School for Women. Thank you for playing, should we or should we not? Follow the advice of the galactically stupid! 
Yeah, I was just thinking about how like hard it is to convince someone that you're drunk when you're not. This is so far one of at least two instances. We'll get to Jerry Maguire, but like I think he plays great drunk and he plays it differently mm. in Jerry Maguire too. Like here he's more rambunctious and yelling and in that one he's way more sort of sedated and things like that and stuff. So like I agree. That's a great scene. Somebody in another podcast from another network that will go unnamed uh, I was listening to a show of theirs and they were talking about Tom Cruise and saying that his best roles are the ones that understand that he's a little unhinged and then allow that to be part of the performance and that his worst roles are the ones where they sort of either try to muzzle it or <laughs> pretend it's not there. So I think these moments are so important for the character and play so nicely off of uh, a feeling about Tom Cruise that maybe the audience doesn't even know that it has yet. The idea that when you get to the later Mission Impossible movies, him doing his own crazy they should kill any normal human being stunts is part of the joy of those movies. It has to do with the audience and the filmmakers recognizing that that's like Tom Cruise is a little crazy. So let's just embrace that and have this character be nuts. And I think that these, this unhinged moment that he has, and even the one at the end and in that climactic courtroom scene play really well to strengths that maybe that he couldn't even have articulated at the time. Those qualities also really benefit when Tom Cruise, like when he's interrogating Jack Nicholson at the end, and Jack Nicholson decides, he's like, oh, we're done here, I'm going to walk off. And Tom Cruise says, I'm not through with my examination, sit down. And he says mm. it's sort of like pretty even, pretty mm-hmm. restrained, but you're sort of like, oh, I don't know what he's going to do. Like, he could do anything in this moment, and I wouldn't be surprised. And I think even when he's not as intense as he is, sort of that description, that depiction of him leads you to that kind of like fear of like what's going to happen next. Totally. Any other thoughts about this movie before I read off some uh, some quick trivia? I mean, it's a great movie. It's a long movie. A lot of things to talk about. But uh... I spotted Noah Wiley in here somewhere. This must have been one yes. of his earliest roles, but he pops up once or twice talking about the codes red. <laughs> Thank you. He's, he's so fun. He's so fun in this movie, I think. You mentioned Christopher Guest. I think that was the only other like major, major actor note that I had. Credit sequences have gone out of fashion in a lot of ways. I'm glad. I guess they no, I guess Marvel still sometimes <laughs> has a, right? Like, oh, no, the, don't they save those for the they do them at the, the end now, the end, end credits. Okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In general, I'm a fan of. I like to just like let's just get to the story. But this, they use the credit sequence so smartly. I think both in terms of seeing the ritual, uh, sort of get, since this movie is going to be so much about what it means to be in the military, what it means to be in this case the Marines, what it means the the, the discipline, the the cohesion, the, the unit cohesion, the following orders, the all of that stuff. To see that in action with this like drill squad with the Rifleman does such a good job of time and place, and it's an interesting thing to watch. It's fascinating, but also sort of thematically relevant. And then it's such a great handoff. Like, they're literally finishing that shot, going down the line of these, as they start to march away, of these Marines. And you see uh, Joe, you see um, Demi Moore walk into the shot, and we pick up, pick her up. So it's not like, oh, here's a credit sequence, and then we're going to fade out and fade back. It's not, it's not a discrete thing. It's in the fabric of the movie. And it's just not a thing you see uh, anymore, and certainly you don't see use this well very often. Yeah. Can we call those like diegetic credits, essentially? Like it's not exactly the same thing That's as like, a diegetic sound, but right. it's essentially, you know, woven Good. into the narrative and the, the world of the movie. 
Yeah. Totally. I love that. Yeah, because the that. movie has started. It's just got words over it, right? Like we're <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Every time I see that gun flipping stuff, like I, I always think it's really cool and like I understand like how hard that must be and I get it and everything, but I <laughs> I'm constantly picturing soldiers running into battle, flipping their guns around over their shoulders, <laughs> around their back, and then like taking a knee for two seconds and then like starting it all over again. Because does any of that ever come into play or is it all just purely pomp and circumstance. Is that, just, yeah, is that just to show like that you are one with your gun and mastery over your gun? Like what is the actual like is there a benefit to that or just like Have you all ever seen The Karate Kid? Yes. You remember Wax On Wax Off and he does that forever and finally he says to Pat Morita he says like why are we doing this? He's, and then he he uses that move to block uh, like a, a hit. This is all it is oh. about unit cohesion. It is about training but it's also like you have to develop secondhand instincts about how to be around weapons and to move and to, you know, and no, you're not going to use these moves in battle, but the idea that you can work completely as a team and be so in sync that if you miss, you're going to knock the teeth out of the guy next to you and he's going to knock the teeth out of you. And like, it, 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 I think it builds all that, that kind of stuff. Wow. It's like gun kata or something like that. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Like I appreciated it before, but now I have like a whole new appreciation for it. <laughs> like just knowing that. I mean, to be, I have to be fair. I've never been in the military. I, I, they're, you know, military members of my family and I will be, I will be happy to ask them, but that's, that would be my sort of my guess and understanding. I like that. I, I appreciate that. I like that. Thank you for that. Uh, Maybe correct insight? I don't know, but I like that. <laughs> that, that. That lucky guess. So Jack Nicholson apparently did his famous monologue a handful of times, like full, like sort of he was doing it at full blast or 100% or whatever to capture other angles and see people's reactions to it. And apparently he never took like a, never just read the lines. He always gave it his all. And apparently wow. he was quite spent. So I think that's a very sort of famous behind the scenes Hollywood story. Tom Cruise would always stay after rehearsals to walk, to work on his role. So he was very committed to this according to Rob Reiner. Ooh, can I interject there on that point? Yeah. I don't know if you all have ever read Rob Lowe's memoir. Oh, not yet. (laughs) It's so good. The first one. I haven't read the second one. Uh, I listened to it on audio, and he... You know, he's reading the book and he met Tom Cruise, you know, er- early on in the Outsiders days. Mm-hmm. He talks about how even and he's very, very generous to in all his stories. And he has a lot of great impressions, does impressions of people. But he talks about how Tom Cruise was even at however old he was, whatever teenage age 20, he was. 2021, I think, or even maybe younger. Yeah. Being so completely like the most committed, serious no one worked harder than Tom Cruise. No one stayed later than Tom Cruise. Nobody, like he said, you could tell this guy was going to be a star, both because of his sort of charisma and, and talent, but also because nobody would outwork him. So it, it sounds like that's something that's been true all along. We've sort of brought up stuff like this before. Like there's obviously things about his persona that we don't need to necessarily get into that aren't uh, the best. What you also hear is that he's incredibly hardworking, that he remembers everyone's name, that he's incredibly kind, and I feel like there is something to that. Beliefs and that whole thing that mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention aside, mm-hmm. it feels like everything about him as as an actor, as a worker, as an employee of Hollywood seems to be like he is doing everything he possibly can, and it shows. And I think mm-hmm. that there's something really to that. It sort of sidesteps a lot of the other stuff, right? Like he's just so... You know, that side of him, I feel, comes through so much to a degree that I'm able to look at the other stuff and be like, well, I can forgive him for some some things. Some things, no, but like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I could still mm-hmm. enjoy what he's doing. I could just like believe in the work that he's doing. So, yeah, that's 
the movies that he's making. Uh, he is apparently based on the three lawyers, like sort of a com- combination of the three lawyers who actually defended the guy that this case is based upon. Like, I have little to no concept of, like, ranks in the military, of, like, what awards or honors mean. But, like, you know the how impressive it is to see, like, Jack Nicholson with his entire, like, left breast covered with all the little medallions and the, the medals and the honors he's received. Like, Demi Moore's got a ton uh, Tom Cruise and Kevin Pollock each have the one, and that is apparently awarded to, it's the National Defense Service Medal, which is given to military members who served honorably during a designated time of which a, quote, national emergency was declared. So for this, probably like the Gulf War. That red, very mm-hmm. emblem, like the, mm-hmm. the very eye-catching red on the black uniform he's wearing, so that's that's what he, I guess his character, maybe the people he was based on, what they were awarded, so. That's really cool. Like, I was thinking at the time, you know, that Jack Nicholson does have all of them, and, and he's got one. It, it almost reminded me of, like, like a sniper target, you know, when, like, you see the red dot on somebody, and I was like, he's got a target on him, you know, like this whole mm-hmm. time kind of thing. I, I mean, I'm sure, I, I, I understand it meant something, like it was there for another, like, an, a practical reason, but in my mind, I, it just kept reminding me of, like, oh, he's got, like, someone's, he's in someone's sights or something. He is a lieutenant Lieutenant Junior Grave in this movie, which is one rank below Lieutenant Pete Mitchell, Maverick, he was in Top Gun, and Demi Moore <laughs> is one rank higher than she would be in G.I. Jean. So, but in both movies, they started one and they both went down one, so uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Oh, the only other thing was that apparently when they aired this on TV, they cut the suicide out, which I understand why you would do that, but at the same time, it's kind of an important scene. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. where's Markinson? Yeah. All right. We already talked about the other Tom. So now if you won, so we're, tra- we're traveling back in time as we are now back in time to 1992, we have won a walk on roll into the world of a few good men. Tobin, what is your Stanley cameo? Your Stamio? How are you putting yourself in this movie? Where are you? What scene are you? You have a line or two. Where are you in this movie? Okay. I'm going to put myself in the room where Kathy gets the assignment where Xander Berkeley, another actor I love, is giving out, is sort of passes the assignment down to him, him and Kevin Pollack, partly because I just like to see all those people work, and also because I think that's probably where I would fit best. I like that. And Mike, what about you? Oh boy, there's a, there's a lot of places to go, like, unrecognized <laughs> in this movie here. Hmm, I was almost going to steal Cuba Gooding Jr.'s role uh, and do that little cameo <laughs> there, there, but um, I think I'm going to be one of the MPs that comes in at the end and takes Jack Nicholson away. Ooh, yeah. yeah Ooh, just like, and whisper good. in his ear, be like, do a Jack Nicholson impression, be like, you're going away for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I like both of you are, like, sort of very serious, heavy, sort of somber approaches to this game. I'm going to be the assistant <laughs> to the newspaper vendor uh, that Tom Cruise goes to routinely, because it just seems like that guy is having the most fun in this movie, and I want to be hanging out with that guy, because he's just, like, shooting the shit with Tom Cruise when he buys Sports Illustrated or whatever. I want to yes, be there. Yeah. Just, like, I'm not replacing <laughs> that guy. I'm just going to be, like, with him just hanging out in the corner. Well, like in uh, like the guy who hangs out on the newsstand in Watchmen, and you're just like the little yeah. guy like reading the magazine. <laughs> of course. So we have an email address here on the show, run at cageclub.me. If you want to email us, we will read it on air if you want. Um, we've also got a Patreon page you can go check out. That's on cageclub.me. You can find that there. Very important questions, and I don't know if the answer to either is yes. I brought one up earlier. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? I don't know that he does. No. I don't think he does. I was looking for that. I didn't see any running. The other question, and again, I don't know that the, I think the answer might be no again. It's rare that we get a no-no. So we found a guy on Twitter, Harperfect or Harperfect, somehow to pronounce it. You can replace Tom Cruise's character name in any movie with Lightning McQueen and nothing would change. Is that true? (laughs) 
about a few good men. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. It hurts my heart a little bit when there's not even... When I can't defend that, it hurts me a little bit. Mm. I don't think there's any way he can be Lightning McQueen. It's tough. Even as much as I feel like he is the cold trickle of lawyers here, he is the maverick of lawyers, uh, the name would just... Yeah, the, the judge would just be like, you kidding me? Like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> he just would not make it up the ranks. I worry that all my episodes that I'm on of Cruise Club are all going to be no's to this question. <laughs> well, there were some, you know, like we did Far and Away, and you would think Far and Away is no, but Irish name, McQueen, so of course, oh, it, it absolutely I, works. So you can sometimes get a yes oh, when you would otherwise think it's a no. I'm just looking at the movies and thinking, mm, boy, I think these, because they're for sure like Jerry Maguire. I guess it's, the movie's called Jerry Maguire. <laughs> it would be funny if his name was Lightning McQueen. Jerry Maguire starring a character named Lightning McQueen, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, so there are definitely ones I can see, for sure. All right, the last thing we have to do in the show is to nominate this for some awards. So, for sure, first up, Best Film, A Few Good Men. Yeah. A category we might cut out, but we're going to keep it for now. Do we want to nominate Rob Reiner for Best Director Filmmaker? Yeah, we haven't really gone in down, down down that road. We've got a handful. I mean, we might we might nix it, but I think for now, I think you have to, you have to give some respects, give some props to him. Yeah, absolutely. Best Cruise Role? Hmm. I mean, he holds the movie on his shoulders. Like, this movie does not work if he doesn't work true yeah and it's such a great like as a for an actor who's had a bunch of box office success and then started to dip his toe into oscar stuff with rain man and then nominated for born on the fourth of july like he's taking control of his career Mm -hmm. and then gets like to do anything he wants and chooses this it plays so well against his persona and then he carries it off so well i i mean there he is not resting at all in this movie so I I, I I would say so. I'm going to say no to most bad... I mean, he's badass, but I don't think it's his most badass role. I feel oh, like yeah, no, it's more no. of a dramatic, and I think that's... So we can skip I mean, that for now. Didn't, didn't someone ask him if he's even seen combat? And he's like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best fight doesn't really... I mean, it's 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 fights of words, and I don't, I don't really want to extend it to that, so I think we can skip that. Best theme tr- theme song, soundtrack, score. No I will skip that, because no. I know that Tobin no. w- might leave the podcast and never come back if he <laughs> if we nominated there. Best car chase, race, no. He does track down to me more in the rain, but that's not really quite what we had in mind there. Best dance scene? Doesn't dance, I don't think, does he? No, no dancing. Nope, no dancing. Best cruise outfit wardrobe. I think... You know, we have Dress of the Nines with the red braid and taps. I'm going to say Dress of the Nines. I'm going to sort of change that to in taps and a few good men. Just like go. the military garb that he wears in a couple of movies. Mm-hmm. Best sunglasses does not wear sunglasses. Best death does not die. Best line. What's the best? I mean, mm. this is specifically for a cruise. Does he have a line in this movie that we want to call attention to? Did you order the codes red? <laughs> I want the truth. I mean, that's I, that's iconic cruise. I okay. want the truth. Okay. You know, And, and of course, of course, Nicholson gets the... Money line, but like it's got to be set up well. Now, best freak out, sort of a mm. little bit different there. I want to make sure that we do the um, the the game show freak out, the drunken freak out. Yeah, because he also freaks out at the at the guys in holding at one point, right? Because they're like not telling mm-hmm. him shit, they're withholding information, and they're like, "Well, you didn't ask," and he's like, "Son <laughs> of a bitch," and he just like, loses it. <laughs> Best sex scene? No, this is a an asexual Tom Cruise performance. Most athletic feat. 
does not really do anything particularly. <laughs> he plays legal. baseball a little bit. <laughs> Which, yeah. he, he's he's Which a lot of grounders, like real like real sharp grounders that are not like not supposed to be grounders. I don't think like they're. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to hit pop ups. I've been trying to my, for my nephew for years now, and I'm just like, we got to figure something else out. I'm just gonna throw him to you at this point. <laughs> best running scene we already talked about. No best love story. No best ensemble cast. I'm gonna say yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. We finally got it. And then the final thing, and again, this is a little difficult because I feel like, like you sort of said, best non-Cruise actor, male or female. Is there somebody in this movie that we want to nominate that's the best of the best in his career? Giving it to Jack would be so easy, but I, I would, you know, if anyone, maybe to me, like, yeah. for me. I agree. Okay. More. If I could one more time make the case for this being his be- best performance, is that because I think because there is no dancing and no running, <laughs> that should that should elevate it because he's not resting on any of these things that he usually does so well. Yeah, that's a good point. That's right. Like the lack of sort of comfort crews. No that crutches. Is in his other yeah. St- yeah. No crutches. Yeah. No guns. No no punches. No running and no dancing. If that's not enough to sway you, I don't know what is. So we have here eight nominees, Best Film, Best Director, Filmmaker, Best Role, Best Outfit, Wardrobe, Best Line, Best Freakout, Best Ensemble Cast, and Best Non-Cruise Actor, Female. Good overall showing. Good showing for you, uh, a few good men. I have uh, high hopes. It it may not have won an Oscar, but it might win a pair of golden sunglasses or whatever we will see calling these things we will see <laughs> and in my heart this will all this will be a nominee for best screenplay for a tom cruise movie that is very important i mean we, i would have that category but like no. we already have too no, many categories we're going to cut everything no. out that does not you know yeah. specifically tom cruise so that even the fact that we have the best filmmaker is you know, it's, it's sort of like a we know yeah. where that's going it's going to go in the trash can only because it wasn't um nominated for an oscar i i'm just mm-hmm. in, I, in my I heart i get it i respect the passion. <laughs> well, Tobin, thank you for joining us. You will be on next episode, The Firm. So in yeah. two weeks, we'll be talking about The Firm. You will be back for that. In between now and then, if you go over to our Hanks for the Memories feed, we have Punchline about stand-up comedian Tom Hanks. So go check those out for all 25 shows in the network, including Tobin's very own podcast, The Contenders. Tobin, if you have to do an elevator pitch, what is The Contenders for our listeners who have not listened to your fine, fine program? The Contenders is a show about movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. Yeah. Movies directed by and starring powerful women. Love it. So that comes out every other Tuesday. We have, so this episode comes out next week. So the most recent one will still be your Booksmart episode. And I know you said it, and I don't remember what it is. What's the next movie you're doing? What's the episode that comes out in two weeks as a recording, but in four days as they're listening to this? On the 23rd, I think it's going to be uh, The Hunger Games. Oh, yes. Ooh. I'm putting putting my three fingers up in salute to you. (laughs) I didn't want to whistle over the mics, so I just did... uh... Oh yeah, that would not the, that would not tones. record well at all. <laughs> nice that you did that. Thank you. But go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram for all things Cruise Club, Hanks of the Memories, the Contenders, and all 25 shows. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Find links to our Patreon page and our threadless shop at our website. And come back in two weeks to hear Tobin talk about the firm with us right here on Cruise Club. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington of the Contenders Podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks right here on Cruise Club. <laughs>